Welcome back to the Film and Photography Society's podcast. Today we'll be talking with the writer-director Holly Chen about herself and her most recent film, Discovery. Her directorial debut, Discovery. Indeed, her directorial debut. But first, let's do a brief introduction of the hosts. I'm Rohan Bunsell. I'm also a writer and director and... And I'm Sophie Emma Wells. I'm also a director and producer. And today we are joined by, well, award-winning writer and director, Holly Chen. Holly, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm a uh, writer, director, and hopefully producer at FPS. And yeah, my name is Holly Chen. Yeah, Holly! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and... um, so today we're basically just going to be talking about, you know, Holly's work, what inspires her work. You know, she most recently did a film that actually won a bunch of awards at the Campus Movie Festival um, called Discovery. And Holly, would you like to talk a little bit about Discovery and, you know, what it's all about? Yeah, I guess spoiler free version this time. It's about a uh, captain in space and she goes to a foreign planet and comes back a changed woman awesome awesome and by the way discovery was made all during the pandemic so it was the actors the actresses um who were filming themselves in person um and no one else was there and we were all sort of coordinating everything virtually that's right holly right yes And Holly, I want to mention, I think it's incredible how like the green screen kind of matched in. Like when I first watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, the actors are on a spaceship. Wait, no, they're not. Hold up. (laughs) That must be green screen. How on earth did they do that? So I just want to say what you did was really incredible. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have to credit Darren, our editor. He mainly does VFX, honestly, and he made it as incredible as it could have been for under a $15 budget, so. $15? $15, yeah. That's that's incredible. Well, $15 not including labor. Uh. Not including labor, yeah. We don't talk about the labor costs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I will admit, it was... It was insanely visually striking, especially, you know, coming through, um, you know, in a virtual film. It was it was lit very, very well. I don't know. Everything was done, like, to perfection, I guess. And, um, you know, I guess one of my questions is, you know, was that one of your primary focuses um, in terms of making, making sure that it looked really, really good? Or um, where do you think your focuses mainly li- um, lied when you were directing? I mean, I think that visually we knew that it had to look stunning to make up for the fact that it was a static camera the entire time, um, except for the bit in between where um, Shepstone has her camera below her. Um, but I also wanted to put a lot of emphasis on the acting as well, because I knew that in order to really sell like what was happening, especially as like a sci-fi drama sort of, um, like I knew that I had to get really good actresses or actors. So I think to me, that was the one thing that I really did look out for, um, during casting as well as like actors who could take direction well, because if they couldn't, then I didn't really know what we were going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and true. 
If, if I may jump around a bit, Holly, what inspired you to make your, your film? Um, so it actually came to me in a dream. Wait, no way. <laughs> yeah, it did. Like, like a couple months prior, I had had this dream about, um, like, space. And I don't want to spoil Discovery, but <laughs> just, like, the idea behind it, right? And as I was writing it before script submissions were due... I was like, how do how can I like make this more of like a flesh out idea rather than like this came to me in a dream. So I took a lot of inspiration from like Alien and a lot of sci-fi dramas as well as um I can't think of another one. But yeah, mostly it was Alien and I really wanted to make a point about like colonization because that is essentially what this film is about like the the bad parts of colonization essentially um and like what it's like to basically go to a planet and just seek out resources instead of like appreciating its culture and like the people who live there already mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very i mean very very interesting i must admit um, i've 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 heard this before but and but like you know when i when i really saw the film i guess it it's, it really did manifest for me i guess you know whatever you were trying to convey and say yeah um you know for all intents and purposes like it does seem like you know a sci-fi horror but i think you know a lot of films in the horror genre they really all have like a deeper meaning behind mm-hmm. it especially like socially and i don't think that discovery is any different Mm-hmm. Well, all the good horror films do. All the good <laughs> ones, yeah. All the good horror, horror, horror films do. Yeah. And, you know, um, I have a question. What do you think um, when writing it... This was your first time writing and directing, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think maybe your biggest takeaway was when writing and directing for the first time? Um. Well, as you know, the original script was a little too on the nose i suppose um so i did have to make a little more changes to make it more um ambiguous as to what the meaning was behind it Mm. um as for directing i think you know i think i could have been a little more proactive in it i'm not gonna lie to you guys (laughs) i think a lot of it went into post-production and i probably could have done more there um and like helped out a little bit more but i don't have any editing experience i don't really have like anything to do with post usually um but I really enjoyed directing like I enjoy like having the vision and giving to everybody else to kind of like get it done um but you know my my team worked pretty autonomously and I think that was great so I'm 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 still really shocked that this is the first time you've directed. Like that, that it was incredible. I was like, yeah, Holly probably does this like all the time. But yeah, I, I like I I think I was too nervous last year. Is what happened? Um, because I am a transfer student, so I transferred Mm. in junior year. Um, so I honestly hadn't had anything written until right before spring quarter. Really, and as we know, you know, the pandemic kind of Mm. happened. Um, and I had every intention of turning it into FPS to produce, mm. but, you know, it was an in-person film and, you know, couldn't really happen. Um, but yeah, like this is my directorial debut, which is surprising to me that like, you know, it got to CMF and won CMF. So. Yeah, it's, 
It's incredible, truly. Um, and I'm going to ask another question really quickly, but you said that you were kind of a little, a little nervous and scared. Like, what was your kind of turnaround? What made you realize that, you know, I, I think I can do this. Like, what was that? You know, I, I just really thought about it because I was like, this is my senior year. Like, if I don't turn something in, like, now, what do I really have to show for, like, my experience with FPS other than like producing because like I always knew that I wanted to direct you know I took a directing class in the summer and I learned a lot from it um and I was just like well this is my chance like if I don't submit now I'm gonna have to like start funding everything myself finding my own crew and like that's super daunting when like FPS is a really nice like fail safe for stuff like that yeah Yeah. that's true that's true even I like I directed a film the same quarter as Holly did. I'm not going to say it was as successful as Holly, <laughs> but, you know, huh. um, it was, it, I, I'm not going to lie, the response was mixed, actually. A lot of, a lot of my friends really, really liked it, or a lot of my friends were like, yeah, it was, it, it was okay. I'm personally in the, yeah, it was okay camp, <laughs> but, you know, um, I agree with you, you know, in the sense that I really wanted something to show for the fact that I've done this for like the better part of three years of my life and you know just having uh, I was talking to my mom about it and she was like you know just having a still from that film is like enough to say like is enough that is more credit than let's say having a line on your resume saying that you were a production assistant for five films exactly it's it yeah and it's a really empowering feeling to know that like you took it through from beginning to end. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just, like, also... Like I said, I really wanted to direct. And I didn't have, like, a chance to until pretty much last quarter. Hmm. But also knew that, like, I wanted to get the experience to do so. Because, like, what if I actually really enjoyed it? What if that's what I want to do for the rest of my life? And, you know, I'm starting to think that maybe it is. But <laughs> it all started with Discovery. <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. You made a Discovery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is there, I mean, is there anything you're talking about, you know, enjoying it a lot? Is there anything that you maybe didn't enjoy too much? Um, I mean, the thing with FPS is that, like, there's a lot of artistic freedom in everything that we do, right? But, you know, I do wish that I gotten to keep the original name of the script. What um, was I the thought it was, name? it was Godspeed. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought it, like, had, a like, a better ring to its name. I think in terms of, like, any regrets directorially. Is that a word, directorially? <laughs> um, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I don't know. Like, I just wish I got to do it in person. That's, mm. that's, like, my only regret. But I think that's probably a lot of people this year. Yeah. Um, I, I have another question, Holly. So... Uh, for people who also relate to you in the aspect of like being a little little nervous to try something new, what what advice would you give them? I mean, it sounds cliche, but like you never know until you try. Mm. Like if you really really want to do something, you have to make it happen for yourself. And like nervous or not, once you get there, you don't really have a choice except to push forward. So. It might be terrifying, and it was. Like, I, the week before that I started directing, 
when I knew that my script had gotten chosen, I was a wreck. I was like, I don't know, like these people are all going to depend on me to like have this product and like have it be good. But what if like I don't have the capability to do that? What if like something goes wrong? That's on me because I'm the director. But, you know, as long as you push yourself forward and like actually do it, like things will go wrong and they will go wrong like very badly sometimes. (laughs) But you won't know until you try. Mm. Yeah, and if, if I may interject really quickly, um, I was a producer on a film for a first-time director. Um, and for those aspiring directors out there, people have your back. And Holly, will, uh, Holly and Rohan will agree with me on this. But if you're confused, like simply ask questions. People are there to help you. That's what your team is there for. So, for example, this first-time director, she was like, Sophie, I'm not really sure what to do for this part. And now I'm the producer, so it's not my vision. But I give advice. Say, take my advice with a grain of salt, you know. Um, but, again, aspiring directors, people are there for you. Ask for help like that's that's what your teammates are there for yeah 100% I agree like I I think that's when like I knew that like things would be okay like I started trusting the people around me because you know they're producers for a reason their department heads for a reason like they're good at what they do exactly exactly Rohan would you like to ask another question (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I guess, you know, I I sort of want to talk a little bit more about discovery, right? I know that we've gone a little bit general, but because I was really, really intrigued by, you know, the way that the film was made, the artistic choices that were made. One thing that sort of struck me, actually, was the music, you know, how, Mm -hmm. um, how intriguing it was very electronic while still having, you know, a sort of, I don't know, groovy disco-y vibe i don't know like the, i don't know it was it, it was it was really interesting and julia the um julia Alanis, who mm-hmm. composed the film she actually won an award for the film um at cmf um campus movie fest for um best original score so could you maybe talk us through what your thoughts were when you thought about you know the music that would be behind or uh yeah behind the film yeah, um, so I always knew that I wanted like an original score for the film and I wanted it to kind of play in its entirety, like behind what was happening. Um, so I basically talked to Julia. I was like, hey, like, I really want an original score. And she was like, yeah, for sure. Like, what are you thinking? And I told her, like, I know I want it to be electronic. Like, I know that I want it to be um, like a synth and I want it to be like suspenseful. Because, you know, it is a suspenseful kind of short film. And Holly was like, yeah, that's great. Like, I just got a synth. Like, (laughs) yeah. Um, So I lucked out on that. And Holly is like a wonderful sound designer and composer. And I'm very lucky to have her have had her on set. Hmm. Um, So she sent me like our very first like rough cut. And I knew that like I wanted something a little more like suspenseful because the first one wasn't exactly like what I was expecting. But then she really nailed it the second time. She also made another one that was supposed to be in the credits and supposed to be in um, the director's cut, which I don't think at this point is happening because Darren <laughs> is busy, but that's fine. Um, and yeah, like I, I really enjoyed what she had put out. And obviously, like she got 
the recognition that she deserved because she got an award. So, mm-hmm. and are there any you know um, inspirations that you sort of drew from? Did um, like any references that you gave Julia or any references for yourself? Maybe I didn't give her references specifically. I was like very ambiguous about it because I wanted to give her the freedom to do whatever she chose. Um, in my mind, I think I imagined something more along the lines of like Tron, um, or like, like Half-Life almost, um, Half-Life 2 specifically. Um, and I mean, like she nailed it, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I, I could, I can sort of hear, you know, um, I love the, tr- you're talking about Tron or Tron Legacy? Which one is the one with, uh, Garrett Hedlund? The 2010 one? The 2010 one, one yeah. Scored, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love Daft Punk, by the way, um, for <laughs> those of you who are listening. But, you know, I love that score. And I sort of I sort of did see it a little, at least in the beginning of the score. So, I mean, definitely mission accomplished. It was... I think, I think Stranger Things, too, was like a big inspiration mm-hmm. as well. Okay, yeah. I haven't heard the soundtrack for that, but um, people keep recommending me to watch mm-hmm. this show. It's which, very good. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will. Also, I, I kind of want to go on a little bit of a tangent, but Holly, you were mentioning that you had sort of like a deep meaning um, behind your film, and I just, can you explain a little bit about that? Um, so, you know, like in addition to like colonization, it also played a part in like race. So I don't know if you noticed, but the two actresses, they're both white. And to me, that was like very, very important in casting choices. Because typically, you know, white European or, you know, Chinese people are mainly responsible for, like, colonization and, um, you know, destroying of, like, Aboriginal or Indigenous cultures, right? Mm. I think, um, you know, originally, like I said, I wanted to name it Godspeed, not only because it was one of the first ships to land in America, but because, like, there's also, like, hints of Christianity, Mm. Um, you know? In the script itself, I believe Foster mentions that like it was like a Garden of Eden, which again is another tie to like Christianity and how like the Crusades and a bunch of other like Christian Crusades were a large reason as to why colonization happened. Mm. Um, I think to me like that was what I was going for. I'm not sure if it comes off specifically to audiences who, like, don't know of this. But if it doesn't, then, I mean, it doesn't matter to me. Like, I <laughs> I directed it, and that's, like, what my intentions were. Mm. Yeah. That's something um, I've had to learn over the years, that I don't make films for, like, a, like a certain type of group of people. I mostly make it for myself. And because exactly. I want to and because I love it, like I'm passionate about it. And so um, I guess like aspiring directors, those who listen, like make a film for yourself. Like if you if you love this this topic and passion, like create something like that. And Holly, I, I guess you you sort of relate to that, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really like tackling social issues, even if it's not super on the nose. Um, like, I think my goal in Hollywood, if I ever actually get there, is to, like, shed light into topics that really affect, like, BIPOC 
individuals and um, members of the LGBTQ community. Mm. It is unfortunate that I had to, like, that I wanted to make these actresses white specifically because, like, I want to tackle this issue. But I think that, like, that was more important than having something that didn't make sense on screen. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, even when I was casting for my film, a lot of the actors who I casted were were white as well. And that was because I sort of wanted to make them a little bit more easily identifiable with what was currently existing in, like, the cultural zeitgeist, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, in relation to those characters, which, again, might be a fault on my own, like, which may be my own biases, you know, my own preconceived notions. But, you know, to elevate those BIPOC stories then, and to, I don't know, end those narratives, then we really need to bring those in because it does really contribute to a significant cultural shift, you know, in our society. Yeah, 100%. yeah I, I, I do want to say that, like, I think that is a reason why I want to be in Hollywood, too, because, you know, growing Hollywood. up... Hollywood. <laughs> exactly. Um... Like, growing up, I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me on screen. And I think that was, like, very problematic for both my self-esteem and just, like, my awareness of everything going on around me. Um, You know, I was blessed with moving to a more upper-middle-class community when I was younger, but I did grow up in the hood. Um, So I think, you know, the things that we see on screen should reflect that of the communities around us. But, you know, we aren't seeing that, and even though we do claim that Hollywood is going through a cultural revolution right now. I don't necessarily think it's enough. So. Yeah. And you know, the issue was that even if we did see representations of people like us on screen, um, for, um, they just weren't flattering ones and they mm, like exactly. actively lowered our self-esteem. Oh, and yeah. for, and for context, this particularly, particularly affected me N- not because I mean like, not like in the same way it does some other people, but mainly because I'm a short Indian man who wears glasses. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it's not, yeah. It, no, it's it's, it's definitely not the best thing for his self-esteem to see, you know, Rajesh Kutrapali never being able to speak to women in person. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it's it's like, it's also seeing, like, white people in yellow or blackface, too. Like, it doesn't occur mm. that much like now in Hollywood but this was like a very big thing like just 50 years ago Mm -hmm. um so like I for one am like the kind of person who wants to see accurate representation like you know not everything has to revolve around people's cultures but like sometimes it is like a good thing like you know crazy rich Asians (laughs) not not that I'm saying that all Chinese people are from Singapore and like are incredibly (laughs) rich right but it it was it was so great seeing like something like that on screen because you know you don't typically see something like that like typically like white people are the rich ones you know what I mean so yeah and I also wanted to include really quickly like when I was a kid I kept seeing blue-eyed people on screen and so I literally thought that to become an actress, you had to have blue eyes. Um, and so me being a Hispanic, I was like, I'll never have blue eyes. And so I constantly wanted to be, you know, like more white, more blue eyed. But um, I really like now that we have like more representation. Um, and again, Rohan, I totally agree. Sometimes the it's not it's written by like people who don't have the background of that culture. Like that mm-hmm. that's the thing. Uh, so you're yeah. like, mm, 
But I again, I agree with Holly. I think we're getting there. Yeah, and sort of going off the writing thing, you know, Holly, you wrote um, Discovery, right? And I think you have like a couple more scripts in your arsenal. Um, <laughs> and the, my question is, going forward, do you w- what direction do you want to take? Do you want to write longer things, or do you just want to pivot towards directing? You know, I really struggle with writing like full length features. I think in my mind, I'm always going to have the beginning and the end, but no real way to get there realistically in 80, 90 pages, 120 pages, you know. <laughs> um, you know, I do want to direct. Um, that's not to say that like I want to abandon writing altogether, but as you guys probably know, it's very hard to write through this pandemic right now. Mm-hmm. Because um, I base a lot of my writing off my own experiences, you know. Um, obviously, I've never been in space, but, you know, <laughs> one day hopefully I'll get there. <laughs> but I, you know, I think I if I do want to direct or write in the future, I still think that I'm very much a genre writer. So I do think that I would still tackle like sci-fi, like very heavy sci-fi influences because it's not our reality but it's also very close to reality at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, I like I like fantasy worlds. I love world building. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that directing is still very hard, though. Mm. Like, yep. especially if I'm directing other people's writing. Because, like, like, I don't know what it's like to actually take somebody else's writing and, like, make it my own. Because that's what, like, directors do. You know, they have their own creative vision for what they want a project to be like. And to me, that's, like, so bonkers because, like, I know that as a writer, I'd be mad if, like, somebody took my writing and misinterpreted it, right? Mm. And I don't want to make that mistake. But a lot of times, you know, writers don't get that kind of, like, um, pull, like, in their work, essentially. Mm. And that that's actually a really important um, thing to bring up because personally, as a director, I'm I'm a director, not a writer, um, and so I really want people to write scripts and give them to me to direct. But that's a very interesting point you were bringing up. Like I always try and work with um, screenwriters and like say, hey, this is my vision. Does it kind of go along with your script? Like always trying to make sure you connect with um, other people so you know that you're respecting their work and helping them create their vision while also you know kind of combining your vision as well so exactly so great point (laughs) yeah i i I think yeah well i was gonna say just in like freelance i think that's very easy to do but i think like if we all end up wanting to make like movies that you know are in production companies or studios like the writer won't get that same input from like a director which i think is like sad Mm. but I, I suppose that's just the reality of things in Hollywood. Yeah. And I mean, like, we're student filmmakers, right? So a lot of the stuff that right now that we're doing, we do have to write ourselves to direct, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even Martin Scorsese with his, like, earliest short, 1965, he wrote it. Like, he, he wrote the entire thing, and it was it's only, like, five to six minutes long. But um, for those of you who have not seen it. I th- I forget the name of it, but it's actually um, just um, an image of a guy shaving himself and he keeps shaving himself until, like, he cuts himself. Oh, 
and he keeps cutting himself um and it's like supposed to be a metaphor for america and it's um wars in vietnam and stuff like that really really powerful stuff and he and but you know he started as a student filmmaker and he wrote his stuff he wrote his own stuff to direct so i mean right now at least it seems like we are going to have to write to direct is yeah. it called is it called the big shave yeah i, I don't know i don't to be quite frank i, I don't remember by martin might... scorsese Scorsese? Yeah, Scorsese. that one. <laughs> Ooh, Sophie. <laughs> it's totally not on recording. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, FPS is great for stuff like that, for, like, writer-directors, right? But I do wish that there was more of a system in which, like, you know, writers can submit their stuff but not have to direct it. Because I know that... um I know that like a lot of writers do want to be directors as well, but for those that like don't want to be, like it's extremely difficult to like give something to somebody and then like have them direct it and like it not be what you actually want it to be. Um, so I can definitely see like that kind of control, like not wanting to like let go of it being like kind of an issue. But then again, like Derek said last night, you know, there's two entry level jobs in FPS and it's a PA and a director so (laughs) yeah and um for those of you who don't know Derek was a guest speaker that we had in our film club yesterday and he um Derek Nguyen and and he actually directs a lot of music videos um he's a freelance director in Hollywood definitely look him up he has some great work that he's done he was just giving us and our club advice about um well transitioning from student filmmaking which what we're doing in the Film and Photography Society, to um, being, like, a commercial director, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And he's an FPS alumni, so it's even more comforting to know that it's possible. Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's, like, one of the most interesting things that I was thinking about recently. You know, it's just, like, it feels like there are two extremes in this industry. You're either dirt poor or, you know, really, really rich. I love that. <laughs> that is so yeah. sad, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what I think gives people so much insecurity when sort of trying to enter the film industry. doesn't feel like there's an in-between with mm. software engineering, with stuff like that. There's like, I can do this and still make a living. You know, mm. I can still feed a family and shit like that. But, you know, with filmmaking, it doesn't feel like there are those kind of jobs. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, like, they do exist. They do exist. Mm. But um, it's difficult. It's definitely definitely very difficult. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's also about knowing, like, when and how to hustle, too. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, people who are really poor, like, they got nothing to lose. Like, so they give it their all, right? Whereas, like, people who are rich, no, they have the connections already. So I think it's a very fascinating, but also very upsetting topic for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I don't come from a very good background either. So I got to hustle, you know? <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, I don't have any connections in the film industry whatsoever. So like, we definitely do have to work really hard to build a network. And yeah. And I know that you've done quite a few film internships and script development and stuff like that, right? And you're also yeah. graduating very soon, so... Oh, no! Oh, 
Molly. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, my question is at this point, what do you think is next for you? Like career wise and how do you um, how do you think about yourself going forward? You know, um, it's a very difficult question to answer because I don't really know, right? Mm. Um, I just know that I have to get a job after college and I'm trying my best right now to apply for assistant positions or mailroom positions at agencies because that, that is the way in. Mm. Um, it's a very traditional method in which, like, you know, you get into an agency, you get to the mailroom, you hopefully get an assistant job for a year, and then you move on. Um you know, ideally, I would like to be a creative producer on sets. Um, but the reality is that, like, I have to work my way up for a very long time to get there at a production company or a studio. But hopefully, as I'm doing that, like, I can freelance direct on the side, like, on weekends and stuff. But, you know, development is a very all-encompassing job in which you have to read scripts after scripts on weekends, even after your job is finished. Um but I, I suppose that's why we have interns too, right? Which is what I'm doing now, so, yeah. So if I may ask um, one last question. Um, Holly, if you could say something to your future self, your future self listening back into this podcast, what would you say to yourself? Huh, I don't know. What do I say to my future self? I mean, can I ask questions? Why not? <laughs> I guess I would just ask, like, am I going to be okay? Like, am I going to find that stability that I need in order to, like, have a good life, but also, like, enjoy it, you know? Um, Because, you know, I'll fully admit that I'm scared right now, very, very scared about my future. But at the same time, like I said, I don't really have anything to lose. So I just hope that you or I am well in the future and that I have like three dogs (laughs) and I'm still living in LA and I hope that I'm still chasing my dreams oh I like that (laughs) yeah yeah the chasing your dreams part is definitely something that I wish um I, I would say to myself for the future because you know I think that as we get older, we get a little bit more jaded. Mm. We get a little bit more... We we start to think that we can't do certain things. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that ends up limiting us is our belief that we can't do them. Mm. In fact, I have a joke about that in my first movie. <laughs> 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 but, um, yeah, it was... Uh, um, yeah, I think it's really important to continue to just have that childlike sense of, like, why can't I do this? Yeah, I mean, if anything, I definitely understand that as somebody who's turning 26 this year. Ah. And, like, you know, all all my peers are, like, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21. And I have to remember that, like, life will always go at its own pace. Mm. And, like, I have to just, like, take a step back and say, like, you know, I'm really not that old. Mm. I'm really, like, not supposed to, like, look at it, like, compare myself to other people, essentially. So, like, why don't I just do the thing that I want to do instead of, like, listening to everybody else? So. Yes, yeah. yes, Holly, let's go. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. 
Thank and you. I think that's pretty much all the questions that I had, or everything that I had to say. So, do you have any more questions? Nah, you hit everything, Holly. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, Holly, thank you so much for coming on and being our guest, as Lumiere would say. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for being on our podcast, and I'm sure all of our viewers would love to see Discovery. So, we'll do our best to maybe put that in the description yeah well thank you so much for having me i really appreciate just getting able to talk (laughs) i would like to give a huge thank you to my co-host and co-producer rohan julia lanis for editing and holly for being featured on our podcast and of course a massive thank you to fps listeners who are still listening to me give credits right now thank you so much and we'll see you next time